You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. Today's conversation focuses on the conclusion of the 2022 state legislative session. Brian Gregoire and Dave Lucas from NYSAC's legislative team have come together to discuss the biggest takeaways for county leaders. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ryan Gregoire. I am the legislative director for uh, your Association of Counties. And with me today is Dave Lucas, our director of finance and intergov affairs. And uh, we've joined together to share with you a recap on the end of the 2022 state legislative session. Dave, how's it going? It's always good when the session ends. Um, you know how it, yes. you know how that is. Uh, we spend so much time at the end of session just trying to stop stuff because so many bills come up that the legislature couldn't get through during budget season, and they're all coming back now. So it, it's always rough. Yeah, that that's a great point, Dave. And you know, uh, as we record this podcast, the assembly actually is still in the process of wrapping up their work for the year because of this new hybrid format. This is a little insider baseball for our listeners, but because of this new hybrid in-person remote voting format, the process to pass legislation in the assembly has slowed down to a crawl. As you can imagine, the staff have to record votes that are coming in over Zoom, votes on the floor, uh, votes at members' desks. It creates a very uh, arduous process for, for the assembly staff. But, you know, as we take a look here at the 22 legislative session, Dave, um, you know, and, and thinking back as well to the state budget, there were a lot of wins for counties this year. And there were a lot of key priorities that we had on our legislative program, the post-budget legislative program that were included. Uh, did you want to highlight anything of significance from your perspective? And then I have a couple bills I'll, I'll throw out there for folks as well. Yeah, I, I think one of the things is just a, a 30,000 foot view. The, you know, the assembly and the legislature have tried to take back part of their their authority in the in the legislative process in taking things out of the budget that they don't think should be in there things that don't have a fiscal impact on the financial plan you know sometimes that's good for counties and sometimes that's bad for counties because some of those items are controversial and that's why the governor puts them in the budget because that's where all the leverage is from their standpoint in the executive but more and more we're seeing that where they're pulling things out and then they're addressing them and putting their own spin on them at the end of session. So, I mean, something that happened last year as an example is the new investment options that was for counties. That was something that was in the governor's budget last year, got pulled out. But then at the end of session last year, the legislature passed it and we, st we still ended up OK. But sometimes you lose out in those circumstances. Yeah. And a perfect example of that situation this year was the shared services reform proposal that we had asked the governor to include in her budget. Ultimately, the legislature decided to pull it out. In this situation, it actually worked to the county's best interest because we were able to work with uh, two members of the legislature from Monroe County to tweak the bill and working with our colleagues in, in Monroe County, we were able to hone the language to be uh, a little more favorable for counties. And ultimately that bill 
uh, just passed within the last couple of hours through both houses unanimously, not a single vote in the negative. So there's one huge success. And again, it's a perfect example of the legislature saying, we like this policy, but we don't want to do it in the budget. Let's take it offline and deal with it uh, between the period of April to June for that remainder section of, of session. So um, that certainly the shared services reform, which will now allow uh, counties to use previously proposed but not implemented projects to be included in future plans, and they will be eligible for state matching funds through the countywide shared services uh, reform. That was a big win for counties. It was on the top priority list of ours in our post-budget program. And I should also note for our members, all of the bills that Dave and I are about to talk about today will be included in our uh, 2022 legislative session past both houses report. So don't worry about jotting down notes. Uh, we'll have all of that for you right on the NISAC website. So Ryan, can I interrupt you for a second? I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Now that shared services bill is pretty important because yes. a, a lot of counties, the way it read before is, as you said, you know, if you didn't do it the first year and you implemented it in the second year and had savings, you couldn't get any reimbursement back for that. And now this would allow it. So this is going to require the state to spend more cash. Yes, it is. So do we have any insight on whether the governor is going to sign this at this point in time? Well, that, that's a great question, Dave. So, um, and again, if you compare the governor's original proposal in her budget to the bill that passed uh, today, there's a little bit of a nuanced difference. The governor's original proposal would have restricted counties to take those prior year projects, put them on this year's plan, but they could only do that up until December 31st of this year. After that, you lost out. You wouldn't be able to include a prior year project. This bill allow, gets rid of that time frame. So you are allowed now to use prior year projects that you had on the shared services plan they haven't been implemented, but let's say you, you included it back in 2017. You can put that on any future plan and request state matching funds. Now, to your point, it's going to require the state to spend a little more cash, but the state budget does authorize a $250 million appropriation for this program, and they reappropriate remaining funds from last year. So there's a good pile of uh, available appropriations. And I know, Dave, you always talk about this in context of our friends in the federal government, where they may authorize an appropriation, but if they don't actually appropriate the money behind it, it can never be spent. New York State is a little different in, in the way that we operate here. Um, it's yet to be determined how fast these new plans will be approved and what the exact cash is that the state has behind this program. But I will say that it was evident from the state legislature that they were interested in passing this. They want to see more efficiency at the local government level. They were great partners to work with us to include this in the final package of bills that passed. And uh, they're really honing in on policy to help counties and municipalities achieve greater savings for taxpayers. Great. Thanks. Thanks for that update. 
Yeah, Dave, there was a uh, a bill in here that would, I'm going to put you on the spot now, that would adjust the way that we value condos for real property taxation purposes. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that new authority looks like and um, maybe a special note of appreciation to these sponsors uh, one of them, Senator Reichland Melnick, was a 2021 session MVP of NISAC. And the assembly sponsor, Sandy Galef, who is retiring at the end of this year, is a past president of the association. So uh, a nice little plug for the two of them. But can you tell our listeners, Dave, a little bit about what this bill does and why it's so uh, significant, potentially, if, if a government decides to opt into the program? Yeah, it, it's a it's a great example of try, try, try again. Uh, this bill has um, been kicking around since 2007, as far as I could tell in, in the notes, um, in the memo about, and I don't know if it's passed both houses in any given year. I'm not sure it has, but this year it did. And, and I know Assemblywoman Galef put a lot of muscle behind this because it's, it's her swan song. She's leaving now. This is something she wanted done. And it is a local option. And without getting too far into the weeds of how property is assessed in New York, which is not the same as we do it in other parts of the country, but it, it's similar. The, the deal with condominiums and co-ops, the way they're assessed today, um, it, it's based on the overall value of the building divided by the number of units. And it doesn't take into consideration the market value of those individual units. So let's say you had a building that cost $50 million and you had 100 units in there. So you can basically say, well, no unit's worth more than $500,000 or whatever that math comes out to. Um, but those individual units could be selling for twice as much as what that value is. So it, it, what it ends up doing is that it spreads the burden of the real property tax levy in a jurisdiction to other people. Right. And, and businesses and businesses and the, and the condo folks get a break. Now, clearly, the developers of condominiums and, and local governments that want that type of development, you know, they might not like this legislation. But because it's a local option, if a local government wants this type of activity going on, um, there's a lot of um, places where they want density. They're, they're more into density than they are to spreading it around. The community I live in, Saratoga Springs, is very in on density. We do have a lot of condo projects in downtown Saratoga Springs, and that's what the community wants, and that's what the local elected officials want. So it's going to be up to them to decide. But this bill has been kicking around for a very long time, local option. So it will be interesting to see if, if it's signed or not. But it's a local option. And it, it's something that finally, after almost 15 years now, has passed both houses and will have to be delivered to the governor sometime in the coming months. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that one. We'll be right back to the conversation after a brief message from our sponsor. NYSTEC is a nonprofit technology consulting company advising agencies, organizations, institutions, and businesses since 1996. Their highly skilled professionals work with clients on IT strategies, solutions, acquisitions, and security across industries. For more information, visit nystack, N-Y-S-T, 
T-E-C.com. You know, so not everything, of course, that happens during this rush of legislation at the end of session is good for counties. There are some issues that percolate along the way. One of the bills that I do want to make a note of for our members is a piece of legislation that has now passed through both houses that expands the number of family court and Supreme Court judges across the state. Certainly, I think uh, we can all appreciate and recognize on the family court side that if a county or a municipality in the city of New York's case requests additional family court judges, there's a significant burden and there's a reason why the county is making that request because they need to provide caseload relief. They need additional staff. They need additional uh, judicial staff to help process family court cases. But this bill also created an additional 14 Supreme Court justices. And, you know, while the association certainly doesn't have a position on whether these additional judges are necessary or not, we do have an issue with the fact that counties are responsible for paying the capital improvements for their judicial chambers, which comes out to be a million dollars for each new judicial chamber. So this legislation uh, will result in approximately $21 million in additional capital cost that have not been budgeted. Now, again, uh, I'll be looking to keep an eye out on what the governor does because, of course, the state of New York has to pay for salary, fringe, and staff support for these uh, judges. So, And that has not been budgeted on their side of the ledger as well. So I don't know if the governor is going to kick this to next year's budget. I, you know, we certainly hope so because I think um, without a special appropriation from the state uh, and without some relief for the counties, this would result in an expanded cost uh, for county governments. So I did just want to bring that up to everyone's attention. Um, there's another bill that has passed both houses and I just received an alert for it as we're speaking, and that is the Digital Fair Right to Repair Act. This is a bill that we have uh, passed a resolution through our Economic Development Committee at NISAC for several years now. Again, Dave, it goes back to that try, try, try again argument. On the floor, um, Assemblymember Angelino, who is in the Minority Caucus, spoke about how the sponsor, who is Pat Fahey from uh, the Capital District, worked with him to adjust this legislation. And ultimately, this bill ended up passing uh, with only one no vote. So it, it's a good example of bipartisanship in Albany, um, something that doesn't occur in Washington, D.C. all that often. But here in our capital, we still have some elements of bipartisanship. And this bill would help to end the monopoly that currently exists on repair services by requiring digital electronic manufacturers to make non-trade secret diagnostic and repair information available. So what does that all mean? There's, and, and this is a particular problem for the agricultural industry. So uh, as equipment manufacturers stop supporting old software when they introduce a new version or a new product, 
it makes it nearly impossible for our farmers to repair their existing equipment. So this forces farmers to invest in either new equipment or repairs to continue their work and act as a barrier for the young farmers who lack access to capital to acquire these technologies. So they're either forced to go to a dealer, maybe several states away, to get their equipment repaired, or they have to go out and buy a new tractor, which can cost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's also other, um, other portions of the economy that would benefit from this proposal, but this is a bill that has been around in the legislature for a number of years, at least four different assembly sponsors over the years. And again, at the end of the day, uh, they were able to reach a bipartisan compromise. And we think that this will be helpful to our uh, local economies within our counties. So I did want to draw attention that that has passed through uh, both houses. Yeah, that that was a, that was a big win, and I know we've supported that through NISAC resolutions for I think a couple of years now about addressing this issue and how it's been such a burden, especially in the agriculture industry. If I could uh, ask you a question, Ryan, about there was a couple things that were put in the governor's budget on the environmental side that got pulled out. Um, regarding uh, producer responsibility and, and things of that nature. How did those fare in the end of session? There was some, I think there was a, I thought there was a couple of things that came back, but I'm not sure they passed. How do we end up on those? Yeah, that's a great question, Dave. So it, it's a little bit of a mixed bag on the environmental side. Uh, there were a couple great bills, again, that were included in the governor's budget. They were pulled out, but they did pass through both houses, one of which was the carpet stewardship program. This is, again, a resolution that we've passed through NISAC. This has been on our legislative program for at least five years now. And uh, th this is a bipartisan piece of legislation, again, that requires carpet producers to establish carpet collection programs and assume the responsibility and cost for collection and recycling. The reason why this is so important for counties is because a large portion of our cost with solid waste recycling comes from large products like carpets. Um, it's extremely expensive to recycle these products. So taking that burden away from our county municipal recycling facilities um, really helps ease that financial constraint on, on counties. The other uh, bill that I did wanna talk about was um, the municipal recycling funding bill. And this is sponsored by uh, two allies of ours, Senator Gorin, who unfortunately will be retiring, and Assemblymember McDonald. And this legislation changes the definition of cost in the environmental conservation law to allow a municipality to obtain additional funding for recycling projects without limiting the availability of state funding. So this has been an issue, particularly on electronic waste. Um, this bill should help uh, open up some more funding opportunities for counties. The last bill on the environmental side um, that you had just talked about, Dave, which was legislation to create an extended producer responsibility EPR program for paper and packaging was not included in the budget and did not pass through both houses. This was a priority of Senator Kaminsky's. Um, Alex Lamont on our team worked really hard to 
try and get to the finish line on this bill. Ultimately, uh, between the advocates and uh, staff within both houses, there was not an agreement that was able to be reached. So we'll have to go back to that issue again next year. I know it's a priority of the governor. She wants to get this done. So, you know, we'll be engaging with her team again and, and try and get this reintroduced in the budget. Um, there were a, a couple other big issues uh, for counties that were in this year's uh, end of session run-up. Um, the last few weeks have really focused on a comprehensive gun legislation package. So this is a 10-bill package, and again, we'll have a write-up in our report on all these different bills, but the legislature spent a lot of time um, turning their attention towards trying to combat gun violence. You know, most of these bills aim to fill gaps in existing laws or close loopholes. Some of them focus on minimizing the risk posed by social media. Uh, they change the way that you can go about purchasing a semi-automatic rifle. You're now going to need to be uh, 21 years old to go and do that, whereas right now it's 18 years old. There are some um, extensions regarding extreme risk protection orders. That's the uh, red flag laws. There might be some um, changes there with county administration and how that is handled. Uh, there's also um, different, th th there's going to be this new criminal gun clearinghouse uh, that's going to be created um, and hopefully that will be tied with the micro stamping bill to track uh, the sale of firearms, rifle, shotguns that were unlawfully sold to someone. Um, and th there's a couple other bills that would create task force on social media and violent extremism and a bill to require social media networks conducting business in New York to provide and maintain a clear and accessible mechanism of uh, individ individual reports of hateful conduct. So I did just want to mention that a lot of a lot of the state legislature's time these last few days was focused on passing this um, ten package, this ten bill package, gun reform proposal. Dave, you know, is there any uh, anything else at first um, glimpse that you wanted to talk to our members about? I think, it, you know, we, we can't comment right now, as Ryan said, on some of the home rule bills that are still working their way through the legislature. But I think one thing we can say is a, a few have passed both houses, uh, smaller items and uh, quite a few, you know, quite a few of these home rule bills are revenue bills. They would allow an extender or a new revenue source to be enacted or increased. And they are moving through the process at this time. They're being set up. It looks like they're gonna pass, but um, for those of you that have pending bills, you'll have to look at our uh, past both houses report, which should be out sometime next week um, yes. to give you an idea. But uh, if you are, are interested or need to know, and you're listening to this podcast before you can find that report, just send an email along to Ryan or myself and we'll let you know what happened to that. Uh, and you may have heard from your members that supported you already, but that's kind of the last thing that gets done in this legislative body 
every yes. year is home rule stuff. And it's not just counties. There's little villages that have hotel motel tax that need to be extended and things like that, or some sales tax sharing arrangement that is codified in state law that needs to be tweaked or sent along. And they kind of wait till the last day of session to pass a lot of these, which keeps us engaged <laughs> through the process for good sure. or for bad. Um, there was a time when home rule revenue bills did not pass. There was a four or five year period during the great recession where those bills were hard to get introduced um, and even harder to get passed. And as a fact, there was none. A few got passed and the governor wouldn't sign them. Uh, that's not the case today, we're hopeful, uh, but it's just something that's, we're waiting on those answers and it's a better period of time now than it was years ago when these things were a bigger struggle to get across the finish line. Yeah, so Dave, the other thing I wanted to draw our members' attention to here is, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about what occurs between now and the end of the year. So when all the dust settles, I'm projecting there'll be somewhere similar to the same number of bills that passed through both houses last year, which was uh, almost a thousand bills. And we'll be somewhere around that number again this year, um, maybe a little less, which is uh, frankly absurd when you think about it. We we passed more bills in New York than any other state in the country. We have introduced 20,000 bills in this legislative session alone, which is way, way, way more than any other state in the country. So th the, the volume of legislation that we monitor and engage on is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 2,000 bills, um, which is, it, it's amazing that we can even keep track of that, but that only represents 10% of all the legislation that ever gets introduced. So I, I do want to just ground set that for our members. And what this all means is the governor between now and the end of the year has to act on about a thousand bills. So that now shifts our attention to engaging with her office. If we're going to be needing chapter amendment changes, if we need bills vetoed, if we need bills signed, we're going to be working with her council office to help influence, shape, and assist them in making the best uh, decision and recommendation for the governor and what action she should take. So that's what's going to occur from now until the end of the year. We also have all 213 members of the legislature and all constitutional officers up for re-election. So, um, and they have all brand new lines in the Senate and Assembly. So there's, there's going to be a lot of um, attention diverted to that election process for the members of the legislature. The governor has indicated that she may call them back into a special session should the Supreme Court act on Roe versus Wade. So that will be something we'll have to keep an eye out for. Typically when that occurs though, uh, they come back for one high profile issue, maybe a cleanup bill if it's a huge priority, but that's about it. So um, we'll keep everyone posted on whether or not that occurs. And the other thing I just wanted to mention too is during this period of time, particularly um, in an election year, there's a lot of staff transitions, both in the Senate and Assembly and the governor's office. So 
Well, we're going to be getting some new members of the legislature that will join us in January. We're also going to have a lot of new staff. So NISAC, of course, will be busy engaging and educating um, everyone who we work with on all of the important issues and all of the important work that counties do. So uh, with that, I thank you all for joining this podcast and keep an eye out for our past both houses report that will be located on the NISAC website under the advocacy tab. So again, thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of County Conversations brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. We hope that you will continue to enjoy these county government-focused conversations, so make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.